Hi, I'm E.K. Johnston, author of Star Wars Ahsoka, Queen's Shadow, and Queen's Peril, and you're listening to the Living Force Podcast. Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. Just a simple wonder. A Utini Podcast Network production. My droid. Do you think you could impair him? Episode 137, Ronin Roundtable, Part 1. Bandits who set up camp at the abandoned outpost on the other side of the mountain. On this episode, the next Star Wars movie gets pushed back. Are you really the chief of this village? New additions to the Essentials Legends collection. So you're a Jedi. And the Utini crew talks about the Star Wars Visions novel, Ronin by Emma Miko Kandon. Could you honestly think you could stand a chance against a Dark Lord? And now, here are your hosts. Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Eilison, Dr. Charles Henkel, Wes Jenkins, and special guest Tom Holler. Utini! What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Living Force, a Utini Network podcast. Corey, turn the Spotify music off that's in my headphones right now. I'm gonna go insane. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Eric Eilerson, and joining me tonight on a Ronin Roundtable is the full crew plus one fantastic guest. But to start it off, we have the man who finally made his Ethernet work two minutes ago, Dr. Corey Helton. Hey, just so we're clear, the music was not in my headphones, so I don't see what the problem really was, personally. <laughs> what a great way to look at the world, Corey. Uh, we also have the architect of the Roundtable, the Santa hat on the TV maestro himself, Dr. Charles, 7-2 Miami Heat, Hankel. That's right. I cannot quite live up to your Christmas tree, but I am slowly getting into the spirit. I got a little snowflake back there for people watching live uh, by my copy of Ronin. Look at that there. A little little nutcracker action down there. Yeah. I love that. Uh, Almost as much as I love the man who has come out of his crippling sports cocoon after a week of mourning, as is the custom. Wes Jenkins, it is how you I. doing, buddy? How are you? Um, how are you? I've I've been better. Um, it is daylight savings time, everyone. And you know who doesn't know that? Your pets. They have no idea. <laughs> they don't have they a feel clue. It's that you terrible. have left. You forgot about feeding them for an entire hour, and they hate you for it. So, shout out to all your pets that are starving and their tummies are grumbling. Well, uh, I hope that my my pets will not be grumbling. They always leave when I do this show because I'm too loud, Uh, which means they'll leave again because I'm going to be loud again because I'm very excited for our guest, a just an architect of Star Wars, just full stop, uh, and also a wonderful presence in the Utini community. It is the man from Delray, the head of the interns, Tom Holler. Welcome. Hey guys, I'm I'm really excited. We're, we're talking about iJedi. No, we're not. Yes, we are. He brought the book. You are you are the right place, sir. Oh my god, I could not resist. You're good. I could not resist. Oh man, there's so much iJedi in the opening. I was like, oh, I got to grab it. I've got to it it's perfect. Uh, you, as the kids say, understood the assignment. Um, well done. Welcome, um, Tom. For anyone that either isn't in our Discord or, or isn't on Twitter or has maybe never read a Star Wars book, um, what do you do? Why are you on the show tonight? Oh, man. Asking the difficult questions up top. <laughs> uh, I am uh, a book editor, uh, and I work at Delray, so I'm part of the editorial team that helps make Star Wars books, um, and specifically one of the editors who helped make Ronin. Um, and I couldn't wait uh, to come talk about it, so that's why I'm here tonight. Excellent. Yeah, cannot wait. Um, this is a book, 
Uh, we'll say it right now. It's going to be a full spoiler show about Ronan uh, once we get to it. This is a book that we could not wait to talk about what happens in it, what happened outside of it, what happened around it. Um, if any of you uh, have listened to our interview with the author, Emma, of Ronan, you know that what goes on in Emma's head is wonderful and articulate and deep, just like the book. So, Tom, we're so stoked to get some of your insight on how it got made behind the scenes and what you think of the book itself. But before we do that, a couple quick things. Number one, got to do it every week now. Make sure if you're listening on our audio platform, if you haven't reviewed our podcast in a while, get us some reviews on all those platforms. It helps people find the show. If you're watching us live or after the fact, like the video, subscribe, ring the bell so you know when we're going live or when a new video is coming out. Because next week, you're going to get a little bell ring because we're getting a video review of Thrawn Ascendancy Lesser Evil, which is another book that Tom had a huge part in, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and you don't want to miss that out. So do all that stuff. Another quick update here in this intro. Are you teeny fantasy update? Guess what? I'm losing again. Rough, <laughs> rough week for Jaboy, um, who is playing against our very own Wes Jenkins. And I definitely did not think David Montgomery would come back from IR tonight. Uh, so I started Khalil Herbert, and he needs to get me 15 points, and he shall not. So, I don't know. I, f- I feel... Every week, I feel like Wes did when the Braves won the World Series, and it never stops. <laughs> but I assume, I had to give That's you this enough. one, Wes. That's you know, you beat me with Zach Moss, which is very humbling. Anyway, <laughs> I think everybody. I'm just going to say everybody. Utini was very nice to me. They didn't say much of anything whenever the Astros lost. So thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, we had a lot of Braves fans <laughs> rather than Astros haters. Uh, however, if you're in the Sports Discord channel, feel free to let loose. All right, but. If, I didn't, have a, I didn't have a segue out of that, Wes. Your suffering brings me joy, but not as much joy as our patrons. See, I found it. There it comes it around. I figure it out. Uh, I hope that all you on the Patreon community are enjoying our Attack of the Clones commentary. We've seen in Discord some people have been listening to it. We hope you enjoyed uh, the things we pointed out, like the fact that Dexter Jetster uses his own arms as an armrest. That was a great thing. And uh, we had a great time talking about that. And coming up soon is our Rogue One video commentary, Rogue One has been in the news a little bit lately uh, with people watching it. Maybe we'll get some Andor stuff on Disney Plus Day. But that Rogue One video commentary is coming to you by the end of the month. So thank you all for that. And somehow, somehow, we're like 25 bucks away from our next Patreon goal, which is the Revenge of the Sith commentary. I can't watch these movies this fast, y'all. <laughs> I mean, we love you. There's, I, I, I'm, I'm a broken record. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The reason that all these things happen... We will be continuing to do these things if you like, and you seem to. So we're glad it makes you happy, and we're actually having a meeting tomorrow night to bring some of our other showmates into the fold to do some Patreon goals. So our friends of Legends Look Back, our friends of the Cosmic Force, out of all you teeny properties, stay tuned because we got some cool stuff coming your way. All right, gentlemen, here's the thing. Every time we do a book review, a book, what is this, roundtable, I try to make a short roundup, or maybe not a roundup at all, and then Star Wars says, no, too bad. So what we're going to do tonight is go through the news of the week, and we'll just do rapid-fire responses, because we want to talk about Ronin, but we got to talk about some of this stuff. First on the on the chopping block, this is like around the horn. If anyone's an ESPN fan, this is what this feels <laughs> like right now. Um, we should give each other points. Look at Corey smiling like you know sports shows. I love you. All right. Um, first thing that happened this morning, the Rogue Squadron movie, directed and written by Patty Jenkins. Um, maybe not. Now, uh, it's delayed. Hollywood Reporter broke this. 
uh, because Patty Jenkins has scheduling conflicts. It has been delayed to an unknown date. What was y'all's initial reaction to this happening? We've had some delays in the past, but this this kind of sucked. I think. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm quite frankly not super surprised. I mean, COVID changed everything. You know, as mm-hmm. Tom can attest, the publishing world has been shaken in the last couple months, and so Slightly. has, you know, the film community. So, I mean, you know, whatever. Things get delayed. It's probably fine. Um, you know, yeah, it's okay. Being, <laughs> being delayed, being delayed is one thing, but an unknown timeline, that's kind of scary. That's kind of scary to see. So mm-hmm. um, it is. I really, I mean, I loved her like that sneak preview of her, like mm. talking about her dad and then rollerblading up into her car, and she had mm-hmm. like the X wing on the tarmac, had, and <clears throat> yeah, it was great. I and mean, I was really psyched for this movie. Like they, they were putting some, some, uh, some, like money behind this thing. Yeah, I was saying like, money. Right? Before, like, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> and so, and then have <clears throat> this comes out. I mean, I didn't. I didn't see it until y'all had told me, so <clears throat> I don't think they were really trying to. Uh, well, I guess the Hollywood Reporter put it out, so I think you know tens <laughs> of millions trying of to people skate saw it. it. <laughs> no one will notice. It'll be fine. It's Disney Plus Day. Yeah. Also, Rogue Squadron is delayed indefinitely, but Disney mm. Plus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll rough. see. It definitely read like the "We'll get there when we get there" kind of mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine because again, we I think we would all agree that. We would rather delay something and make it well than rush something out. So I just hope that we do get it eventually. I like that. I like we've that got, We've got books to read in the meantime. What Couple. a great segue, Charles. What a great, great segue because we got another announcement this week. The Essential Legends Collection keeps rolling on. And dare I say we got the four coolest covers so far, he said, maybe mm, controversially. you. Look at these four. <laughs> Uh, the next four, which we have a couple we could definitely guess at based on what's been released so far, but a couple have been rumored and now confirmed. We got Kenobi, Darth Plagueis, Wedge's Gamble, and Dynasty of Evil. Um, let's just go real quick. What's your favorite cover out of these four? Kenobi. Mm. Oh, sorry. <laughs> wow. Brave answer. Uh, wow. I mean. Wedge's Gamble is pretty good, too, though, with the blue. Yeah, I like it. Do you like, like that? that. <clears throat> the Plagueis one looks different. Yeah, I you know <laughs> I dare dare I say like the original Plagueis cover maybe better maybe I don't know it's kind of hard to say. I did just cover. read Plagueis though, so you know I'm happy to have it. I'm happy to have new and different is always a plus. So Dynasty know. of Evil is new and different. That's correct. That's true. Tom, what about <laughs> what about these so far for you? What uh what set of covers have really just when you, when you see the drafts come in, what's just blowing you away? I dig I dig the work that Simon Gunyard did on the um, the Bane series, ending oh. here with Dynasty of Evil. Just yeah. the the kind of like almost just pencil sketch with like really reserved use oh, yeah. of color on all of them, and just having that face off on this last cover with like those expressions on the two characters' faces, like just. Uh, Really awesome, particularly, too, when you think about the original Bane trilogy covers, and obviously there's that story that the second one had to be done by a different artist because of timing and delays, Mm -hmm. and so you had this kind of (laughs) unintentional lack of continuity between those covers, and now having these three that are just this, like, really pure, really kind of visceral design. Yeah, for sure. It's like the 
it is emblematic of everything we're trying to do with the essential legends books when we are making a change to a cover um, yeah. is like that series is is it yeah, distilled sure. perfectly yeah. yeah, and I absolutely. love them because like not only are the uniform obviously in the front, but like when you when you put all the Legends collection like next to each other on the shelf with the spines, it's just so satisfying. <clears throat> like the unit, like yeah. the uniformity of it, because that's been the cool thing about you know New Canon. We have all these different covers, but when you see a trilogy together or when you see a collection together, there's just yeah. something about seeing them all line up. That's really mm-hmm. beautiful. And these are coming, <clears throat> I believe, in April. Um, yes, yes, in April. So. Oh, uh, we've said it once. We've said it a million times. Get those pre-orders in. There's still ships in the bay, so pre-order <laughs> your books. I hear sugar is stuck on the water. Good luck with your ice cream. <laughs> I don't like that. Um, yeah, what do we need? Sugar in the Christmas time season. Uh, but another thing that we do need is another glorious reveal we got this week, which is three new High Republic Jedi from Mission to Disaster which is an upcoming High Republic book. We got three new Jedi. This first one we're looking at is, is my favorite for a very sentimental reason. This is Lissa Vots, who is named after Lissa, the amazing Disney Lucasfilm PR contact. Uh, so I've actually emailed Lissa a bunch of times, and when this came out, seeing her realized as a Jedi is dope because, uh, no spoilers here, this is my actual dream in life, is to have my, my name in Star Wars and Lissa... Did a lot more work and got there. So, um, <laughs> for sure, she's awesome. She's a researcher, very much like our boy. Um, if Lissa Re- was a Jedi too, this is how I would picture her. To be frank, yeah. holding an iPad, one hundred percent. She <laughs> understands it. She's got you covered. I love That's that. Right. Uh, and then we got, I believe, our next picture is Nyla Quinn, this yes. old Twi'lek that is just a wizened Twi'lek. They describe her as um, over oh. on Dalna. So I I love a, a, an old I love an old Jedi I just do they just got something yeah. different they've seen some Yoda stuff. vibes for I, sure yeah. I, if you've got a walking stick you got a walking stick you're okay in my book and there you're on Blessed Jedi there, too yeah yes. there better be a lightsaber hidden beneath that walking <laughs> stick oh my god and then she goes you would not deprive an old woman of her walking stick <laughs> and then she Gandalfs all over the place and that's it. I would love that. And then, of course, we have the hottest character we've seen in a while. <laughs> Yasek Sparkburn. Um, related... Sparkburn. That's hilarious. Dude, related like to Jordana Sparkburn from yeah, Hyrule Republic Out of the Shadows. Um, he is... Also, a distant, distant ancestor of uh, Poe Dameron, I might say. <laughs> oh, my God. Just beautiful. Beautiful man. Uh, grew up in a Santeca compound, and all those people will be coming again in the next wave of the High Republic. So I just love the character art. I can't believe we're getting so much art in this initiative, and I need this art book when it's ready, eventually. But That's something I, that we've never seen, right, Eric? We haven't seen not like, a lot scale. of art. Yeah, like art of characters that way when, yeah. when books come out. And they're really like, it's like they made it a point to be able to put names to faces mm-hmm. through this art and those illustrations. It's great. Yeah. And now, Tom, as far as your side of it with, with the editing process, are you getting these uh, the concept art going through you guys as well? Is that another department? Like, how does that work behind the scenes? Yeah, it's one of those like it's part of like the larger, complicated, interconnected web. So like everybody's seeing like these art pieces like as they kind of come through and they're informed and built kind of around the same times that a story or a character is being built up a little separately because that's the domain of the artists and whatnot. Um, but it's, so it's all kind of filtering back and forth. And sometimes we'll see like an early version or like, here's the concept one, but it's not quite the 
the pretty clean one that everyone sees. It's like yeah. somewhere in the process. Totally. Do you have a? Is there a specific author that especially freaks out when they see their concept art? No, all of them do. That is, that is, you know, it's a universal truth that that when an author sees concept character art, concept cover art, anything like that, that they have a um, a, a righteous uh, freak out about it. Absolutely. I, I just, I want to, I just want to be like at a restaurant at another table where an author is at to just hear like a piece of a, a bogle flying when they get an email to be like, oh my god, and then just, ah, I'm so happy for them, and I love that these keep happening. So. Uh, keep your eyes out, y'all. We're going to get more concept art, and we're absolutely going to see them more. Can't wait. Another thing that dropped this week, the last thing that dropped this week, is our first excerpt from the book that I desperately wish I had already read by now. Uh, it's Queen's Hope by E.K. Johnston, the third in the Padme trilogy. We got our first excerpt that showed us a point of view of both Padme and Anakin. That's right. We got some Anakin point of view in the Clone Wars era um, because it's the day of their wedding. It's a really, really beautiful excerpt. That kind of goes through both of them and goes through the happy moments. Uh, E.K. Johnston talks a lot about that in the lead up to this book. That we don't get to see the happy couple as much. Because there's a lot of war in the stars. So uh, this is a nice moment where you kind of get to see them as young people desperately in love on kind of a really important day of their lives. And right you know, at the end of episode two, Anakin's getting used to the hand. They're on Naboo. It's gorgeous. And then things happen. Uh, but definitely go to StarWars.com. Check out that first excerpt. Get those pre-orders in, which is coming in April now. April's going to be a big month. We got, like, I'm pretty sure, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, from, like, April on, or March on, there's, like, a book at least every month that we're getting for a while. That's that's not, not inaccurate. That is not inaccurate. <laughs> I'll take that. It's going to be It's going to be a lot. But, of course... As being asked in the chat reminded us, if you need something to tide you over, tomorrow, as I'm told by my Amazon alerts, the Insider Fiction Collection Volume 2, which collects some legend short stories, comes out. It was delayed, I think, if I check my math, 14,000 times, but it's finally here, uh, so make sure if you pre-order that, it's coming. If you didn't, you don't make the force be with you, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but Tom, if people didn't get that, and they can't wait for Queen's Hope, there's another book coming out next week that you are going to be talking about next monday so tell folks what they can uh attend next week if they want to hear a little more about thrawn ascendancy lesser evil yeah next week lesser evil all 540 pages of this behemoth comes out so big. Uh, but the night before it does on on uh, monday the 15th uh myself uh and timothy zahn are going to be in conversation um the folks at mysterious galaxy are hosting it for us um there are links there will definitely be a link on my twitter darth and turner's there's also we can drop a link in the chat we can there'll be links everywhere if you just google mysterious galaxy uh thrawn lesser evil it's on their homepage. you can register for free and you can watch tim and i talk about the book talk about the trilogy uh as it comes to an end but also if you want to get signed copies of the book you can get signed copies through mysterious galaxy and they will mail them out to you um, and it's gonna be a lot of fun, uh, and we're not gonna spoil the whole book. We couldn't. It's 540 pages long. There's way too much to spoil. Um, <laughs> so big, but it's gonna be great. It's so long. It is. Um, it's gonna have to be. It's gonna have to be a long round table. Maybe three yeah, parts. Here. I don't know. We'll see. It's longer than life. I just threw it easy, up in the Corey, chat for anybody easy. who wants to click on it real quick. Yeah. Well, thanks, Wes. And for those folks that may not have seen uh, Tom's earlier tweets about this, this is greater good. Uh huh. And this is lesser evil. Ooh. So. Seems great. Big brother yeah. to the saga. <laughs> and uh and speaking of greater good, we actually do have on utini.com right now 
the recap that we use for the roundtables. Charles writes up these recaps, which, again, you'll hear about Ronan in just a couple minutes. We did put up our recap of Greater Good. So if it is, I don't know, if you've maybe, like us, read 20 Star Wars books since Greater Good came out and you need a little bit of a recap, uh, we do have that up on the site. We're showing it now in addition to a link to our first roundtables with Emma when we talked about that. So if you don't have time for a full reread before Lesser Evil next week, um, if you do, frankly, I'm... What do you? I, I want to know what your life is. That sounds great. Um, if you don't have time, head over to utn.com. We got you covered because you're going to want to know a little bit more before you get back into the life of Thrawn. All right. Thrawn comes out next week. Get that pre-order in. The High Republic Fallen Star comes out January 4th. Get that pre-order in. Everything else, pre-orders. Pre-order everything right now if you have Christmas gifts coming up because, y'all, the mail. Get them in. All right, everybody. It's here. It's been a while since we've done a roundtable. We were supposed to have done another one because of cancellations, but here we are. We're ready. I got my new Her Universe hashtag not a sponsor vision shirt on, <laughs> uh, which, by the way, if you haven't had any Visions merch, this is a shirt with every single one on it, so you don't have to buy any others. But, Charles, it's all you, buddy. Let's talk about Ronin. All right, it's time for the Ronin roundtable. We're going to start this the same way that we start every other one with a plot synopsis that's pretty long and detailed, y'all. And... Um, just want to say this up front. This was my interpretation of what happened in this book. I think this maybe is one of the first ones we've had where, like, maybe you don't agree with my plot synopsis. That's that's possible. So I want to hear what everyone <laughs> thinks. Um, did we read the same book? I don't know. But here we, we go. Should have had Tom edit this. This is going to be amazing. We should have. We should have. I'm, I'm crucial oversight. <laughs> what okay. do you think happened, Charles? Let's go. <laughs> All right. So, the views the expressed by this plot synopsis do not necessarily reflect the views expressed by the Living Curse podcast. All right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the Ronin, a mysterious warrior carrying a crimson blade, travels the planet Ginbara and is led by an unsettling voice in his head to a village being attacked by a group of bandits. The Ronin intervenes and is met in battle by a Sith warrior. They duel across the village to a nearby waterfall where the Ronin manages to trick the Sith and kill her. Shortly after, the Sith, named Kuru, somehow comes back to life. She also now hears a voice in her head, urging her to go after the Ronin. As the Ronin continues his march across Gimbara, he meets a strange individual called the Traveler. While he can't figure out why, the Ronin knows the voice in his head, which he attributes to the witch ordained their meeting. They proceed to the next village together, where the Ronin is ambushed by a group of bounty hunters. Kuru also arrives in the village and attacks the Ronin at the behest of the witch, but he narrowly escapes aboard a ship, the Poor Crow, with help from an unknown party. The Ronin meets the crew of the Poor Crow, which includes the Traveler, as well as Chi and Akia. They claim to be searching for Reizu, an old imperial planet that disappeared without a trace long ago. The Ronin joins their plight with the hopes of figuring out how and why the witch seems to be resurrecting dead Force users. The backstory of the rest of the crew is revealed. Chi is said to be a bounty hunter by trade who used to hunt Jedi, but has been convinced to hunt Sith instead. Akia, a native of Reizu, is an ex-Sith trooper turned pilot, and she discloses that the crow's cargo hold is full of kyber hidden in works of art, and that she's taking the kyber, which represents lost souls back home to Reizu. Across the galaxy, a Jedi master named Han Rai speaks to one of his students who snuck into his private library trying to learn more about the witch raising Jedi from the dead. Han Rai receives a message urging him to go to the planet Dekian. The crew of the poor crow arrives at the Sankara Caverns on Dekian where the Ronin claims to have left something long ago, a shard from the Kyber Mirror at the Shinsui Temple on Raizu that may lead them back to the lost planet. Han Rai's Jedi party arrives shortly after, also seemingly intent on reaching the end of the caverns. 
Chi joins Hanrei's party to stall the Jedi while the Ronin and Traveler race ahead. Kuru also arrives on Dekian and attacks Akia, but the two eventually realize they can work together toward a common goal. On a bridge high in the caverns, the Ronin and Traveler come face to face with Hanrai, and a duel ensues. Suddenly, Chi appears behind the Ronin, grabs the Traveler, pulls them both off the bridge, and plunges into the depths below. Hanrai's Jedi chase after them, and Hanrai reveals that the Traveler was an old student of his. The Traveler produces a white-bladed lightsaber and fights back against Chi. Akia and Kuru arrive and fight off Hanrei's Jedi, managing to commandeer a skiff, rescue the Traveler, and flee. The Ronin is left behind at the mercy of the Jedi. After returning to port, Akia discovers that the crow and all of its kyber has been stolen and taken to an Imperial shipyard. She contacts an old slicer friend from her Sith Trooper days and is rewarded with a data card that will get her access to it. Akia, Kodu, and the Traveler initiate the shipyard, infiltrate the shipyard, and board the crow, but find that its hold is empty. They realize that all the kyber has been taken to Han Rai's Dreadnought and decide to stow aboard the crow as it's transported there. The Ronin is a prisoner aboard Han Rai's Dreadnought. Chi divulges her alliance with Han Rai and escorts, his, escorts him to a meeting with her master. Hanrai tells the story of how he discovered the shard from the Kyber Mirror in the Secura Caverns long ago and tasked his best student, Itzuna, with using it to discover what happened to Reitsu. However, uh, his student never returned. Hanrai requests that the Ronin join forces with him to help correct the errors of the ways of the Jedi clans. The Ronin then declines Hanrai's offer and subsequently goes on a shipwide rampage, ripping apart the Dreadnought piece by piece. After arriving on the Dreadnought only for it to fall to pieces, the Traveler and Kodu race to find the Ronin. However, Kodu instead finds Chi, leading a group of young Jedi trying to escape from the disintegrating ship. Kodu then decides to help and leads them to safety. The Traveler, or Izuna, which we now know, arrives in Hanrai's private quarters and the two come face-to-face once again. Hanrai implores them to return to his side, but the Traveler refuses. The Ronin then arrives and finds Akia's stolen kyber crystals in Hanrai's quarters. Then, hidden from Hanrai's awareness by the Traveler, he kills Hanrai, nearly bisecting him with his lightsaber. Before there is before there is time to be relieved, Hanrai rises from the dead. He tells the Ronin and the Traveler that the witch invites them to Raitsu. Then asks for the way. He reveals that he already gave them the kyber mirror shard to the Traveler long ago. A battle ensues, and Hanrai destroys the Ronin Saber by stabbing him through both of his hands, but the Traveler comes to his rescue and stabs Hanrai through the chest. The Traveler helps helps the Ronin find a way off the ship as it implodes. After regrouping, the two realize that when Hanrai said he gave the Kyber Shard to the Traveler, he must have meant in their lightsaber. They disassemble the saber and do indeed find the lost Kyber Shard at its heart. The Ronin touches it and is transported into a vision where he recalls everything that happened on Reitsu. He relives leading a Sith fleet side by side with the witch to conquer the planet. He and the witch arrive in the Shinsu temple and the Kyber mirror. The Ronin is shown a horrible vision and in a fit of rage shatters the mirror into a thousand pieces. Though one shard remains lodged in his knuckle. The Ronin speaks to the witch, but she claims she never asked the Ronin to return. He's then transported back to his own reality. After reuniting with the crew of the Poor Crow, the Ronin uses the Kyber Shard to guide them through the hyper through hyperspace to Raitsu. 
Once on the ground, the witch tells the Ronin that he must walk the pilgrim's path to find her at the Shinsu Temple. Along the way, the crew was repeatedly ambushed by Sith shades popping in and out of existence, intent on murdering the Ronin. It soon becomes clear that not everyone need to be put in harm's way, so Kia volunteers to stay behind with the endangered Jedi students. She gives her box of recovered Kryber crystals to Kuru to carry forward and finish out her task. The Ronin, the Traveler, and Kuru fight their way through seven shrines with increasing difficulty. Kuru and the Traveler decide to hold off the amassing demons at the final bridge and let the Ronin go ahead alone. They lure the demons out onto the bridge and then cut its supports, sending them all falling into the abyss. The Traveler barely catches Kodu by the arm, keeping her from falling to her death. But the witch's voice tells them to let go. They do, and Kodu falls. The Traveler then catches up to the Ronin at the temple, but the doors are closed. They sit together their strength and discuss their journey one last time. Suddenly, the Traveler reveals that he has taken the Ronin's saber without his notice. They ignite it and point it at the Ronin's throat, though it almost seems as if what they're doing is not what they want. They seem to finally come to the realization that the witch may have been whispering to them the entire time. Kodu lands in the strange realm where she is repeatedly told by the witch to let go. She's dragged through a portal of some kind from one world into the next and comes to realize that the witch was not responsible for her resurrection. Rather, there is another who is responsible, who the witch also wishes to stop. Kodu is again transported and suddenly appears behind the Traveler. She stabs him in the back, but rather than dying, the Traveler morphs into the Kyber Shard and comes to rest in the Ronin's hand. The doors of the temple own, open, and the Ronin enters to find the mirror, somehow restored to its former glory. In its reflection, rather than seeing himself or the witch, he finds another, strangely familiar young girl. He realizes that it's his daughter. The Ronin's daughter tells the story of how she came to end up on Reizu. She grew up there after the Ronin betrayed the witch, but the witch also left her, attempting to save Reizu by hiding it away from the rest of the galaxy. The Traveler eventually arrived, sent by Henrai, intent on killing all the Sith who remained, but they instead found and pitied her. They trained her, and she grew strong, but became increasingly obsessed with repairing the shattered Kyber mirror. As she grew at odds with the Traveler over this, she eventually killed them and unintentionally brought them back to life. After realizing her own ability, she then went on to do this for others. The Ronin realizes that the voice in his head was never the witch, but rather his daughter the entire time. The Ronin crosses through the mirror and opens himself for an embrace with his daughter, but she stabs him. He holds onto her and falls backward through the Kyber mirror, once again shattering it. With the mirror destroyed, Raidsu is returned to the galaxy with all of its inhabitants restored and barely aware of their 20-year absence. A short time later, the Ronin has settled in the village, along with Chi, Akia, and his daughter Mirahi. The ghosts of Raidsu have all disappeared, but with the exception of Koru and the Traveler, who continue to travel and speak with the Ronin. Mirahi asks to be trained by the Ronin, and he obliges, realizing that he has been given a new purpose and a new life. Boom. All right. Uh, rather than ask Tom if we got it right, <laughs> because we're going we're gonna to debate that, um, you know, I don't, I don't see how we got it wrong. It's very straightforward. Point A, point B. I have. Yes, have please. Yes. yes. You went that entire recap without mentioning Hatroid. Yes, I did. Oh, my yes, God. I did. Shut it down. Shut it down. You're right. <laughs> You started, you started it off, and I, on my watch, I just said, all right, I'm going to time. How long before we get to Hat Joe? Until we get to the star of the show. And I was like, it's like five seconds in. It's like 10 seconds in. The entire time Cheryl, without mentioning Hat Joe. Sorry. Sorry. Right. sorry. It is a fair All right, it's been the living criticism. force, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. We're done. Uh, it's been a good run. 137 episodes. Um, 
That's what the character <laughs> section is for. We're only going to talk about Hattrick. Um, <laughs> okay. Very fair. Um, Very fair. Listen, the the last like 40% of this book is just like a total blur. Like I felt like I was on drugs. Like what? Yeah. Like, like it's yeah. just so much stuff happens that it's just like – Am I even understanding this correctly? I know, man. Fantastic. So well, we'll find out. It, it's a good recap. It's a pretty okay. good recap. I'll, I'll take that. I'll it's take pretty that. good. Um, That's going to be our, our, our pull quote for the show. Tom pretty said it's pretty good. Tom Holder, don't <laughs> Charles, I loved it. You did a great job. Yeah, Thank no, you. that was <laughs> intense. I could we're a little glib. That, that great. You're intensely good at that. So it took you probably like a month to write that, though, right? I mean, <laughs> this one, how did you interpret this? This one, this? it was yeah. very important for me to recap each chapter i wrote a one like one sentence on a chapter as i went i would never in a million years have been able to just close the book and then do that there's no way oh, so right. <laughs> so all that said um uh, and tom obviously you're intimately involved in the creation of this book so please feel free not to to participate in this part but everyone who wants to i want to hear how you rate this book on a one to ten you can give some brief thoughts don't take up too much time because we got a lot to get through boys uh Wes Corey. let's go to you first okay so I'm gonna give this a 7.8 um mostly I I enjoyed the the fact that it was so different than I, what I've read before it took me completely out of the normalcy that I'm in the redundancy that I usually will get with when I'm reading Star Wars book after book after book and this one kind of it let it gave me new vocabulary it helped me understand <laughs> It definitely yeah. helped me understand um, a lot more of like the philosophy and the psychology of Jedi and what they're thinking, rather than like actions and and like uh, and like fight scenes and stuff. So I thought that was great. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Uh, Corey, what do you think? I will actually jump a full point from Wes and give this an eight point eight, which is exactly what Utini as a whole gave the book as well. Oh, it is. Um, yeah, you know, I, I was I was kind of reflecting a lot on how to even rate this book, and there's I th- I feel like this is one of the few books that requires like context to give it a proper review, right? Mm-hmm. Because if I had not known as much as I did know about Emma Mieko Candon after we interviewed her, like if I didn't know like all the all the backstory and history and then with the TV show and all that stuff going into this book, I think I maybe would have rated it lower just because it's complex and weird and different. But like, I don't know. There's just, there's so much rich culture and history that's associated with this. Like, like it's, it's one of the most unique star Wars books to ever be written. And I think that is, that, that is like hard to argue with. Easily, easily. All right, Eric, what do you think? All right. um, I'm going to say, I'm gonna give this a 9.4 for me, and Woo. it's it, it's funny because we we we've been talking a lot lately behind the scenes about books that you finish and then kind of sit with you and, and marinate as you will as something we uh, that Tom said when we were off off air, and it's, this is a book I think that really is emblematic of that feeling because I read it and I was like. I, I just poured over each page because the writing is so different. Every page mm-hmm. is just fill uh, is full of description and a whole world and stuff. And I and I finished it, and obviously from that recap, you can tell I finished it. And I'm like, okay, I think I know what happened in it. It's like when I watched Tenet for the first <laughs> time. I'm like, okay, I think so. <laughs> and then as I've thought about it more, I've thought about this book more than a lot of other Star Wars books I've finished. It just like pops up in my head, and weirdly, I'm like. I don't know if the point is the point. 
if that makes sense. Like at the end of it, I'm like the journey of reading this book and knowing these characters is so is such an experience that I I, I feel great giving it a nine point four and and putting it that high because even though as we talk, I may change my mind about what happened in the book. That's so cool. Like we've never had a Star Wars book that we can do that with, and that's so exciting. So nine point four happily. True. Yeah, yeah. I had my number in the back of my head before y'all went, so I wouldn't take it away from anyone. I'm giving it a 9.3, so I'm right there with Eric. I really adored this book. It it um, it did what I want stories to do, which is it challenged me. It challenged me not only to uh, comprehend what I think the author's telling me, but kind of my own experiences and, and how that helps me reflect on the experiences of the characters. I love the fact that we're all coming in here and we can actually kind of debate about what happened. Like there is some ambiguity there. There is some leeway yeah. to make the experience your own. And there's there's a lot of freedom in that and challenge in that. And I think that's this is going to be one of the roundtables that I think is the most important of any book that we've done just to kind of fully process what happened and, and how we experienced it. So I'm excited to get into that. Yeah, and I guess if it's not a number of you, Charles, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it, Tom. What is if you wouldn't not to say how you'd rate the book, but how would you rate the experience of creating this book? I guess, and how was it different than all the other books you've worked on? This is the hardest book I've ever worked on. The most oh, this, yeah, that is you know for, for as many readers yeah. who have shared either on podcasts or, or, or just like seeing on social or in reviews and stuff that this was a challenging book to read. This is the most challenging book that I've worked on. Um, in part because um, Emma's approach to prose and just approach to writing is different and challenging and gorgeous. And so um, your first instinct uh, as an editor is like, I don't understand that sentence. We must deconstruct the sentence and make it simpler so that one can understand it. But that is not what is right for Emma's Emma's writing and her words and her work. The way that you improve that is not right. the same way you improve someone else's. So I almost had to learn... I had almost had to learn an entirely different way of um, of constructing prose because it's one of the first times that I've worked with someone who writes with this sort of um, kind of um, it's like lyrical. Uh, it's it's almost mythic in a way. Yeah, it's poetic. poetic. It's the, one of the yeah. first times I've ever worked yeah. with someone who's, who writes like that. So it was challenging in that way, um, uh, but challenging in the best way. Um, so that, that's sort of the, the hallmark of the experience, um, challenging in the best way and challenging in that basically no guardrails and where the story can go from a story perspective, which is, a, true. which is an amazing right. opportunity, but also a, un, uh, you know, a ridiculous challenge because when you have no guardrails, it's very easily then to just skate off the side of the mountain and, you know, and, and plunge to disaster. We, we've all played exactly. Rainbow Road. Yeah. We've yeah. all been on Rainbow Road and missed, <laughs> missed that shortcut. Uh, <laughs> so uh, challenging, but in all the absolute best ways. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a really good point you bring up, too, with the no guardrails thing. Is that's, that's, I assume this is sort of the reference to it's kind of in between canon and legends, right? Is that kind of what you're getting at there? Just that, like, there's no, you know, you as a reader, you can have almost no expectation as to where this story is going when yeah. you turn that page from what happens in the dual shirt short once right. we're past that there's just you have no way of knowing as a reader where we're gonna mm -hmm. go 
because there's no frame of reference. There is no, Mm -hmm. well, I know that this thing happens 40 years later. So at least between now and then I know X, Y, Z must have happened or, or or must not have happened. None of that exists here. Um, So sort of open in that way. Yeah, I find that it just, when, the first chapter, the, the first chapter where it went from the Ronin's perspective to like Kodu's perspective, I'm like, cool. So not only can anyone get a chapter, but also the names are different in every chapter. Also, people die and they stay dead, or they don't stay dead. Like the Ronin yeah. could be in half this book, <laughs> and then he could die, and then it could be someone else. Like it was, I know you don't know. It's crazy. Yeah, this the storytelling, like. The way that that Emma writes is like you say, Tom. Like her style of writing is almost academic. Like you kind of have to understand like her background to writing, which she talked about a little bit when we interviewed her of how, her study of Japanese history and all this kind of stuff. Like it's clear how much that has influenced her writing style. But then we also have the sort of hard to deny fact that like the book kind of is in its own standalone category, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's in this weird place that Star Wars Visions, the TV series is in of that. It's not really canon. It's not really legends. It's kind of, it's kind of like myths. And we had this huge debate recently at Utini about what is this category of books, because this category is like growing a lot, right? We have these myths and fables books. Now we have this book and they, they all, they're sort of, Stories within a story, which is a crazy concept to think about a little bit, but is incredibly, incredibly fun, but also really complicated. And I think if I think that that could possibly be the the biggest drawback to folks that are not as familiar with the backstory, I guess, of this book. Like, I can't imagine picking this up as your first Star Wars book. Like, if that happened, that would be oh, man. challenging. Yeah. That would be challenging. Maybe you would love it. I don't know. Give it maybe, to maybe someone some at Christmas, folks. Listen, one of y'all listeners, viewers, buy this book for someone at Christmas who has never read a Star Wars book. I want to know. I would love that. Yeah. I buy it for my dad, maybe. That'd be fun. I I have a sneaking suspicion, actually, that that this would make that this makes for a an actually a really good first Star Wars. Really? Book. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. I, I I was I was kind of thinking about that while I was reading it, it as like yeah. particularly if you're like a if you're like a manga reader or somebody who's really into anime, which those nerd nerd cultures do cross over a good deal with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, because here, here's the thing about it is that putting aside the the sort of challenge of the prose, um, it is not a book that re- it, it requ- you require no knowledge mm-hmm. of Star Wars, even even less so than any other book before it. You also sort of don't have to actually even be a quote unquote That's Star true. Wars fan because it sits so separate from the rest of Star Wars, um, and because it has a sensibility that is both obviously. You know, fully entrenched in, but also apart from Star Wars. So I think that this could actually be a really interesting first Star Wars book for sure. a certain type. Sure. Sure. Okay. Sure. If you're yeah. if you're the type of yeah. person, that's a good point. You know, if you're the type of person who's trying to catalog every every moment of time in the galaxy far, far away, maybe this isn't the best as your first Star Wars book. But for a, a certain group of readers, I think this actually would make. For a really compelling, I am hundred percent serious though, y'all. If you're buying this for someone as a gift and they don't know Star Wars, I want to know. I'm so interested because that is yeah, be amazing. Let us know. Would love it. To to sum all of that up, to read this book, we had to unlearn what we have learned, right? Oh, <laughs> I've been holding on to That's that. That's a Star Wars there. Look at you, man. Sure. So let's kind of. jump into some of these characters and start dissecting them a little bit. Mm -hmm. And there's really no one better to start with than the Ronin himself. Ronin, right. Yes, not Hatroid yet. (laughs) (laughs) The Ronin, a.k.a. Grimm. Eric, you mentioned that all these characters have several 
names. Uh, so I'll, I'll try to provide a couple of those in case we use any different ones. But the Ronin really is quite a mystery from the very first page. But we do kind of slowly get his backstory at several key points throughout the book. And I want to look at those in order. I have a bunch of quotes, but I actually don't want to spend the time to read all of these. So I'm going to do my best to recap in that the Ronin was a, a young force sensitive who was adopted into the Jedi clans. It seems like he was a very promising student. He was very powerful in the force. And at some point in a battle, uh, he was faced with a choice that either led to his self-preservation uh, and the death of his, essentially, leader of his clan, uh, or he would have had to sacrifice himself to save the leader of the clan. He made the decision that led to the death of the clan leader. It was more or less excommunicated by the Jedi, it seems. Um, he went on from there and essentially created the Sith. That's why he's referred to as the Dark Lord. He, he kind of recruited a bunch of other warriors and went on what seems to be a galaxy-wide rampage. This is when he was working with supposedly the witch and destroying entire planets. This is when they went and took over Reizu. But it was on Reizu, after seeing a horrible vision, that he betrayed the witch, shattered the mirror, and sort of split off from her with a new path of destroying the Sith. He's hunting Sith down one by one, essentially, for years after that, until we meet him at the start of this book. So that's obviously very complex, uh, very convoluted to some degree, but that's the, the best way that I can kind of boil that down. Oh, and he meets Hatroid at some point. He meets Hatroid, <laughs> and Hatroid is his best friend forever. You're <laughs> not anti-Hatroid. We want to make that I'm very not clear. anti-Hatroid. I do love <laughs> Hatroid. So, so my first question, and again, take these prompts wherever you want. I just want to spur some good conversation. How did it feel for the main character of the book to be the reformed, quote-unquote, Dark Lord? Like, did you find yourself rooting for or against him? Like, how, how do you approach that as a reader who's normally on the side of the Jedi and the light side and all, all good and warm and fuzzy things? Oh, man. Mm, I, that's a good question. I, I like the way you phrase that when I root for him, right? Because I think this kind of brings us slightly back to the, the structure of the book. Is I was kind of rooting for the narrative as I read. I was less uh, concerned with, are the Jedi going to win? Are the Sith going to win? Is Grimm going to win? I'm like, I just want the book to keep going was kind of the way. And I think that's unique because like, like Tom said, we, this isn't the typical structure, structure of the good Jedi and the bad Sith. Uh, there are definitely bad Sith in this. They do some rough murder, rough, you know, umbrella <laughs> spinning. Not great. Could be better. Um, also, Jedi, kind of rude. Kind of rude points, <laughs> and so I liked that there wasn't that like strict line. But I I did root for his story, whatever it was gonna be. I found him a very yeah. compelling protagonist, and I really loved that it wasn't just like I gotta. Re- I, it wasn't your typical. I gotta regain my honor by by fixing my sins. Like there was that element of it, but it wasn't mm-hmm. that cut and dry. Which I think every time he showed up, I was excited to see him. Which I think is the best kind of compliment i can give to a book protagonist yeah i totally agree with that like when whenever he showed up in the beginning of a chapter i was like there he is he's back now i can <laughs> <laughs> there he is again but yeah. i mean yeah i was i was That's rooting my boy! for the sith as cedric diggory's dad would say 
And I usually, <laughs> I mean, usually because my sick mind, I would root for the Sith anyways. But in this, I was, I was rooting for the Sith. And then when the Jedi, when Hanrai arrived and they were talking about being Jedi, I was like, is that the bad guy? Is this whole thing flip flop to where now the Jedi are bad and the Sith are good? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way I, that I first took it when dude, I was when I was dude. His it. ship his ship is called a dreadnought. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a bad guy ship. I mean, come on. But it, but it's it's crazy because what is good and bad even in this story? What is Jedi? And exactly. Sith? Like, it's dude, not even, it's like it's it's, I know. it's not maybe even the Jedi are in the wrong. Right. They, they were like I, I did I did kind of like that this story was sort of almost told from the perspective of the villains a little bit. Mm-hmm. I would love to ask Emma her perspective on that. Like this is like. But are they the villains? Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say. The Jedi were certainly like depicted as sort of the worst version of what we know as the Jedi in like Legends of Canon, right? They're this right. haughty, arrogant, hierarch- hierarchical. I don't know. Like that's. It was done well, though. Yeah. I I was a big fan of like I, I found myself rooting for Ronan pretty much the whole book, but I didn't feel like I was rooting for the bad guys. I guess like I don't know. It was weird. Yeah, Tom. How yeah. how was approaching that uh from the editing side like did it uh, how, how do you even how did y'all talk about it behind the scenes of like the protagonist more or less is the dark lord so the way we had talked about it was that and this is obviously all building off of the work that kamikaze doga did for the anime which for mm-hmm. the duel which is he is this unknowable being you know, you know nothing about him other than the color of his lightsaber. Um, and so we knew from the beginning that the protagonist of this book is going to be this unknowable character, which is not usually a great recipe for a protagonist because that's usually your <laughs> POV of the book. So how can I read a book about a character whom I know nothing about and who doesn't want me to know anything about him? That seems like a challenge. Um, so it was less a, it was less the idea of like, is he the hero? Is he the, the protagonist versus the antagonist? But it was more about creating a character and creating a story where you may not actually be rooting for the Ronin the whole time, but what you're rooting for is you're rooting to understand him by the end of the book. You're rooting to understand the, the totality of his story, the totality of his past, the totality of his sins, the totality of what drives him. And whether or not you ever get to the point that you are rooting for him or that you side with him, it's that I want to get to the point of knowing him. And every other character in the book is kind of actually, everybody in the book's goal is to try to know him. Han Rai, for all that that every other character may have ulterior motives or have other circumstances or other things they want him to be, be their champion, be their, you know, vengeful, you know, uh, you know, bit of rage, be their font of power whatever they all are trying to know him uh he is resisting (laughs) letting anyone know him but that was the goal and so that was the frame by which we talked about this character um from from the sort of very beginning we didn't really ever have conversations uh about the idea of like well who's the villain and who's the hero? Yeah. We obviously sure. had like, who is the, what is the opposing force? Who is getting in his way? What object or what entity tries to stop him? Who is chasing him? Who puts him in danger? But we sort of mm. never, fr- we never framed it in the idea of, well, Hanrai is the villain. 
Hanrai is obviously right. in opposition to him, but we never really wow. use the words Hanrai is the villain or yeah. the traveler is is an ally yeah. or this person is a hero. Never really talked about it like that, except for, of course, Hatroid, who is a hero, the only one, the one true hero. <laughs> uh, unimpeachable. Unimpeachable. unimpeachable hero. I will tell you, because <clears throat> it seems like we joke about Hatroid a lot. I de- like wrote a sentence to him at the very beginning. It's being like, rule number one, Hatroid. You, you can't kill Hatroid. Like, that's, a, that's the only rule. You can't kill Hatroid. That's awesome. That's it. That's awesome. Uh, that's it. They, yeah. I don't think they were going yeah. to. I don't think I'm ever planned to, but, you know. But Which makes sure have... you got to check that out. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I love that point of view, too, because as you know, as we spoke to Emma, they, they made a great point about, you know, Charles asked them a question about you know, Jap- Japanese imperialism and how the history of that culture doesn't necessarily, like, demonize the the caste system is there like oh, like the lord and like this like there's an honor mm-hmm. to serving your lord so like the idea that you know the chat of you know Cheryl and Gavin and everyone's talking a lot about um how the ronin refused to sacrifice his like soldiers for a lord and i think you could read that and be like well yeah there's more people or something but there's also i think Emma writes it in an interesting way where like no it is honorable for some people to sacrifice themselves for their lord, yeah. because that is the yeah. culture, that is the society, and I'm like, I, and I really loved reading that because I think, for for a good for a good point, a lot of Star Wars literature tells you what is good and what is bad. If more people die, that is bad, and if less people die, that is good, which I think is a great mm-hmm. lesson um, <clears throat> that somehow I think some people have forgotten. Anyway, I think that for the most part, less death is good, but I I loved the view of it was so more complex in the Ronin's mind. Like, as we went through him, he wasn't just trying to avenge these souls. He wasn't just trying to do one thing. It was all kind of a mystery. And hearing that behind the scenes, you guys were kind of rolling with that as well, makes so much sense. And that's just... It's just... It breaks my brain and also reforms it at the same time, which I think makes this... is kind of how I would define this book in a nutshell. Like Kylo Ren's helmet. That's what... That's exactly it. You're welcome. It's it's really interesting. It's true to hear y'all talking about your your rooting to understand the Ronin. Like that really resonated with me. But but not only to I think understand who, who he is, where he came from, what he's done, but also to understand what makes him tick. Right? Like what's his mm. motivation? And I thought that at one point in the story, that question was posed very well by Han Rai when they're talking on his dreadnought. And he says, why would a man who went to such lengths to protect his own later turn on them? How might you explain that? And that question just, I'm talking, hit me like a ton of bricks. So I don't have a prompt here, guys. Hanrai gave it to me, okay? I want to know, how would you explain that? How do you explain the Ronin's motivations and how he, he made these crucial decisions that he made in his past? Tom, I, there's something behind, there's something on your lips there, man. <laughs> oh, you're muted. But I think I got you. I, I want to hear you. from you guys. Yeah. All right. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I. Okay. The the short version of Midstock, because yes, Charles, that is the question, isn't it? I think the anime does such a great job at giving the prompt of. He has a. He is going to kill these people, get these crystals, and go to the next one. Like the end of that of that anime is so succinct, in that this part of the mission is done. Now I'll go to the next part of the mission and I'll do it again. 
and I will like the 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 frame of putting the the crystal into the cloak with all the other ones is so clean and specific and tells so many stories visually, right? Mm-hmm. And it is interesting seeing a man that is so simultaneously devoted to a purpose of like I'm going to keep getting these crystals, I'm going to keep killing these Sith, I'm going to stab their lightsabers, I'm going to get them because I created this kind of. Yet also, who is mercurial enough to be like, but maybe not. <laughs> like, if he runs into something else, then it might shift him. And I think there's something almost. All right, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna. Uh, this might be a stretch, but follow me on this. <laughs> the the morality of the Ronin seems to be kind of as flowing as Emma's prose style, and also as the way she describes the Force as water. Like they all kind of have a similar vibe of. They all kind of feel what's going on, and you and they kind of travel you on something. The Ronin is not necessarily a straight line. He's going to go through curves. He's going to go around and kind of adapt to situations. Emma's writing isn't going to be the same from page to page. You're going to kind of have to follow it and get along with it, and there's going to be rapids, and there's going to be smooth currents and things like that. And that's exactly how they describe the force of, like, the current and the flare, which I, which is, I think, something we'll get to later. is one of my favorite things in any Star Wars book. But it all has this very flowing nature to it and the fact that all every part of this book is simultaneously part of that flow i think is part mm-hmm. of what made it questionable because i mean if, you, if you're stuck in a, in a river sometimes you go somewhere you don't know where you're gonna go but us being on the same journey as the ronin kind of weirdly made me understand what he was doing because i was on the same literary journey which is the straightforward answer to your question charles i hope that uh, yes. is <laughs> not circuitous at all <laughs> That's what I got. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's like the... I, I think we're not really supposed to understand it, I, I feel like. I think I don't think that even the Ronin really even fully understands it. Like, he... Mm. It's almost like a personal journey where he's trying to atone for his sins, but he doesn't really know what his sins are and also how to atone for them. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's complicated, and he is like... He has this persona of being like a this mystery traveler sort of character, but also he's got like a like a dark secret past kind of that he doesn't want to address. I don't know, but then I mean, he's not really hiding either. Like it's it's yeah, it's exactly. So Cheryl and Gavin head in the chat really nicely. Uh, it's it's trauma. The trauma response. Sure, is that you know when you're a I, again I I can't speak to this nearly as eloquently as as most people but as far as the few things that i know about if you've gone through as intense trauma like psychologically you it is hard to find that direct fix because there is something that is broken and there's something that can't be repaired easily and you're kind of always searching for it so that's a that's a great point guys mm-hmm. that was something I, again i think it's retroactively makes a lot of sense but i didn't get my first read yeah Oof. Tom, anything to add to that? I mean, <laughs> oh we're, we're, essentially, we're essentially asking you to interpret Ronin's character, which is like the whole well, purpose of this book. And like, right. you know, help us understand, Tom, please. <laughs> you have, sure. So you, you have this character who basically has decided to detach himself from 
like the greater galaxy and from all of the kind of recursive circular patterns of everything that goes on. It's sort of what's, what, what causes his first big break when he sees in the mirror that you're basically just perpetuating this endless cycle. You know, you're to, to borrow the, the mm-hmm. paraphrased line from game of Thrones, that idea of like the wheel that turns <laughs> right. and is like, well, I'll just smash the wheel. Well, it doesn't really work that way. Right. You know? <laughs> so he just nopes out and he says, no, nope. And the only thing he can do in a sort of, you know, kind of, penance, not really atonement, but in sort of what can I do is I'm just going to go seek out the remnants of this thing that I was responsible for, and I'm going to remove them. And in doing that, and in only focusing on doing that, I don't have to actually think about or engage with the larger choices that I made. And specifically in the, in the, in the visage of this witch character who is just sort of telling him, helping guide him from village to village, sort of where he's finding yeah. these. I don't ever actually have to reconcile with mm-hmm. what happened. I just could go from village to village or town to town or whatever. And it's just this sense of he has so detached himself from what he did, not because he doesn't remember it or anything, but just like he does mm. isn't going to reckon with it. He is so he has removed himself from it so much um, that this is all he do does is I wander with my droid and I collect Kyra crystals and I'm either going to get another one or this I'll is going to sound and, weird. This but is, that reminds this me like when you're dream. playing a video game uh, and you make a choice and you and it's it auto saves you can't go back and it's such a hard thing that you just do side quests. That you're like I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna farm because I'm like I know the next the next story beat is gonna hurt and the next story beat is gonna be intense so I'm just gonna grind. And I'm just gonna like exist for a bit, and eventually I'll have to reckon with that. Well, so he's like side. And quest. there's another. There's actually a second question that would that sort of re. It's like it, it's actually Hanrai's question, but asked in a different way and in reference to a different item. But it's the same question happens early in the book when the the, the witch asks this of um, the Ronin, but then Koru asks it kind of of herself when she's alone, which is. Why is he carrying around a broken lightsaber that he could have fixed? And he never fixed it. Yeah. But instead of fixing it, and we know he could have fixed it, he even admits, oh, I could totally fix this. He's a mechanical kind of genius. Instead, he built a scabbard yeah. for it. So he just hid it away. He hid away this, this unyielding, un, you know, yeah, ever-burning lightsaber in a sheath rather than fixing it. And why didn't he fix it? <laughs> he sheathed himself. God, it hurts to think. Listen, so you, you remember, remember a couple, a couple, Ooh. it's been a long time since we talked about this, but the Jedi Jeez. Order has got like all these different like areas of expertise that you can go into, right? Like the, mm-hmm. it's like the, mm-hmm. there's like the academic stuff, there's the sort of adventurer stuff, there's all these different areas of the Jedi Order, right? Janitorial. They, Jedi. they need, they, yes, that's right. They need therapists. That needs to be a new tract that you can, can go That's a thing. Because that's... all the Jedi need flipping therapy. There was Let a Jedi therapist <laughs> mentioned for the first time in the Rising storm and, and he had a name right. and everything. really it was uh, i remember and then, and then uh tempest runner obviously is this place. shock full of it <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god and so, that uh okay, sorry i just want to add one one sentence yeah. on that just because it hits me real hard and then i i want to hear your glorious words because you're so good at these things um i i i've said it once i've said it a million times and i find like a record record like i feel like authors so often write for the times of which they are apart and now seeing that this sentiment of hiding your trauma away, you can fix it, but it's easier just to to make something and put it back and let it simmer is so of the moment of the everything <clears throat> that like hearing that kind of put out that way and thinking about it, this book in that way 
is so intense because not to, not to be glib at all, but when Tom, when you're when you were talking about that, when you're saying, oh, he just kind of pulls away from this and, and kind of checks out. Like, in all honesty, the first thing I thought of was like getting off Twitter. Was like that it, oh, yeah. it's, <laughs> in, in the most serious way of like, think, oh, yeah, this is a thing yeah, yeah. Of, of perpetuating a cycle of. I'm I'm up and then I'm down and I'm up and I'm down and it's intense and it just keeps going and going and going and going and going and at some point you hear about these people all the time that just gotta like cut themselves out and now right. seeing that he's like oh I could have fixed this but I'm just gonna let this simmer and I will build stuff around it rather than addressing the trauma and then I'll go do something else can apply to roughly if I if I round down 35 people I know in real life including myself so that is whoo I love Star Wars it's heavy. Books. Charles, it's heavy. It's super heavy, and, and I, oh I do gosh, have to say, man. after wow. ever having talked, wow. after having talked to Emma and knowing all the history that her crazy path that she's been through personally, it's no wonder that like these sort of themes like come through in her writing so easily. It seems like I mean, this is heavy hitting stuff, and yeah. it just flows out in the book, and it's like it's all like it's all like adjacent to the story. It's not even like really in your face. It's kind of like just there and you have to decipher it and pick it out and yeah. process it. I mean, it's, and there's also was... sword fights. Yeah. Yes. Which this also, you know, like, like you said, this, this does feel in inherently star Wars, like the whole book oh, yeah. did. I mean, it feels like it definitely exists in the star Wars universe with lightsabers yeah. and the force. And like, it's yeah, there were some little small changes here and there, but, it's centered around yeah. like kyber crystals and kyber shards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, that's one of the things that I was, that I was thinking about when you said it'd be like a perfect book for somebody who's never read Star Wars before. They, I think one of their main questions would be, what's a kyber crystal? Why is it so important? Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. But um, sure. yeah, centering it around that was, I think that was genius. It's cause so, like you say, this is inherently Star Wars, like you said, Corey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love. Also, I'm going to say now we should have that saber at Galaxy's Edge. No one's listening. Uh, the Ronin <laughs> saber at uh, at Doc Ondar's. That'd be great. It doesn't yes. work. You don't have to pay for the. You don't have to play pay for the blade. It doesn't detach. You have to buy the scabbard Dude, as well. With, with the scabbard, it'd be like seven hundred dollars. Like, Test me, Corey. Test me. Ask if I'll buy it. And Eric would 100 percent have it. Let's just be honest. So I love everything that y'all said. I really, I mean, I couldn't add much more to that. I I just think that there's one really important moment, and obviously this book is full of them, but but the point that everything kind of comes back to, the point in the Ronin's history that everything comes back to, which, you know, you could argue for for people in real life and in this story, oftentimes everything kind of comes back to that trauma that people are talking about in the chat. Mm Mm-hmm. That point in the Ronin story, to me, seemed to be what he was faced with when he looked in the Kyber mirror in the temple. And mm-hmm. I think that may answer where some of his motivation comes from. And not only what he saw, but what he wanted to see, what his expectation was, and then what he was rewarded with, right? Because it, it's uh-huh. not just that he saw this cycle of violence that was, was never ending, but there's a quote where he says how foolish he was to want clarity. The clearest vision he'd ever known had shown him his own true image, and he'd hated that so much he'd done everything in his power to destroy it. And that, that hits me so hard to think you're, you're trying to build something. You, you believe in what you're doing. And then when you really get the clearest look at it, you realize 
you hate everything about it. Like you're, you're living a lie. And, and how do you move forward from that moment, right? And, and what's incredible about the Ronin is he didn't face that moment once. He faced it twice in this book. He literally relived his trauma and had sort of a, a, a different conclusion. He made a different choice there. Eric, there was no autosave. He backed out of his game. He reloaded it <laughs> just before making his decision. Um, it, it, and he made a different decision. Um, I, I, I think that we should talk about that. The second time the Ronin came face-to-face with the Kyber Mirror, and please weigh in, too, on, on how you experienced the first time he stood in front of the Kyber Mirror and ended up shattering it. But the second time he got there... He he found his daughter, I think. I think he found his daughter. Uh and and he chose to make an, an action of of love, of affection, to try yeah. to embrace his daughter. He was met with a lightsaber in the chest, but you know, take that for what it is. Family drama, right? Uh Who among I'm, us, come on. Thanksgiving's coming up. Right? <laughs> don't <laughs> like, don't bring up politics or Ronan at the at the Thanksgiving table. <laughs> Uh, no, definitely bring up Ronan. Bring up Ronan, absolutely. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious, y'all. How did you, uh, how did you take the Ronan's experience, specifically with the Kyber Mirror, and, and what did you think of his decision the second time to, basically reach out uh, to his daughter to try to make that connection? <laughs> awesome. I, I, I do want to say my first gut reaction with the whole mirror thing. Period is like I. I love mirrors for some reason in, in storytelling. Like, Sweet. like I don't know. Okay. I, I just love looking at myself in the mirror. Again. No, listen, we've hit the market. I I really introduced that poorly. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's great. Uh, mirror mirrors have, as a storytelling medium are for some reason super super powerful, and we've seen them all throughout history, all throughout storytelling, all throughout Star Wars for that matter. I mean, we got we have mirrors over and over again. We have Luke looking at his own face in the Darth Vader helmet. We have in the cave on Dagobah, we have Rey in the mirror where she wanted answers and couldn't find it in that crazy trippy scene in The Last mm-hmm. Jedi. I mean, mirrors are such a huge storytelling medium. And like the fact that we mix Kyber's and this and this mix this mirror thing with like it's a Kyber mirror, which I mean, who the hell knows what kind of properties that kind of mirror has got? I mean, apparently it hit a whole planet for like twenty years or something <laughs> like that, which was kind of trippy in and of itself, but like I just thought it was genius to mix the force with this idea of Ronan looking at himself but, but seeing something else was I mean man you could just sit and think about that for a long, for a long time just by itself yeah and, and I love that we got this guy that this whole book is trying to figure out a way to essentially do things over or find a new path or or, or figure out you know what he's supposed to do and and like you say Charles he's given this gift of of a second time of doing something which is something that i think every person in the world there's something you'd rather you'd want to do over again everyone wants is like you know even if it's big if it's small that's kind of a a, frankly universal desire at some point i would i would guess and i think that made it really powerful for him to do that to show that he has learned something this guy that is that is grim literally that is pushing people away that is kind of very of himself to then make a very loving open choice i think was was the strongest possible thing to do and and cory honestly i i completely agree about the mirror thing as well i reading those chapters was unlike anything else i've ever experienced because they are so back and forth the 
a mirror mm-hmm. itself reflects reality, and those chapters reflected reality because some was real, some was not. There's visions, there's not. And actually, before I go into that, Tom, I want to ask you something because you mentioned editing this book was so unique. You have chapters that are all about mirrors and visions, and some's <laughs> real, some's not. How did you approach that as an editor? Full stop. How did you approach that? Because these <laughs> okay. are some interesting chapters. <laughs> so there's 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 two there's the two chapters in question. There's the chapter when he touches the shard and has this sort of you know sort of yeah flashback, but it's also happening in real time, and also it happened in the past sort of moment. And then there's the the, the you know the chapter where he walks into the temple and and sees the the reconstructed mirror and meets his daughter. And originally the you know it, the original those chapters were actually the the content of the chapter is exactly the same and the where we start where we end what happens but the the way they were written was actually even way more um kind of complicated it was, it was like second person inside of first person with like a third oh, it was really oh really great because the whole part of this is you're meant to be it, it's really meant to be kind of crazy like happening yeah, yeah. but anyway yeah so what the way we approached Shit. it was like, first of all, you know, you, you, you got to do some, you do the work of just like, okay, we got to create some foundational tethers of like, just so people can broadly orient themselves to like what's going on. So like in that first chapter, he touches it and it's like just him and the witch and they're talking. And then slowly, it's almost like being in the matrix, like the world kind of forms around them. And you could say, okay, he's talking to the witch in real time, but they're reliving a memory and they're sort of inside that memory. And so you could do that. And then the second scene, is it meant to be like that that first scene is training you for the scene with his daughter? That first chapter in some part, like from a purely mechanical, how am I reading this book? The stuff that's going on in that earlier chapter is meant to train you so that when you get to the chapter with the daughter, you have already sort of learned from a mechanical writing standpoint what Emma is doing so you can focus on the fact that all the biggest reveals of this book are about to smack you in the face, um, you know, with the fact that there's his daughter and oh my God, all this other stuff. Um, so the goal was to use that first chapter as the training wheels and then to take them off in the latter chapter where the two of them are sitting there playing shogi and then the mirror is next to them. So as he's playing with her, he can basically see their reflection next to him as if the mirror is next to him. And because she is has mastery over the mirror because of her, you know, her study of it, that she is literally like plunging him into her memory and then pulling him out of it the way that, the way we talked about it was like, if you dunk someone's head underwater and then pull them back up and then they, you know, in any action movie, you can see people like their head get dunked under and they get pulled back up back and forth really quickly. That's essentially what's happening to him. And so, so she waterboards him. All right, that's cool. All right. Okay. Not quite, but you know, it's just like, <laughs> it's that idea of being pulled into and out of memory re- so yeah. quickly that it, the world around you actually becomes indistinguishable. Mm-hmm from you know present from memory uh-huh. but something i wanted to point out is charles you picked up on something that i'm really i'm really excited you picked up on um which was noticing the relationship between the ronin's interaction with the mirror the second time and the ronin's interaction with the mirror the first time and what underpins the interaction the first time when he is meets the mirror and then he destroys it it's done out of anger it's done out of hate. It's done out of fear. It's done out of this intense set of negative, painful, violent emotions. The second time the mirror is almost broken, but it doesn't, when we learn that the traveler, Itzuna, tried to do the same thing 
when she when they realized what the daughter was starting to do and that's what led to the fight which led to their death and then their resurrection again that's a moment of violence of anger of fear of of destruction but as you pointed out charles at the end of the book when the ronin embraces his daughter who has just you know stabbed him in the chest with a lightsaber and pulls her so that they fall into the mirror to break it again it is done out of love and sacrifice um and i'm glad that you pointed out because as we were developing this we were sort of having this conversation of you know we're not necessarily going to explain it but at least in our own heads em and i should understand like mechanically why does why does what he does work versus the other times like why does what he does break the curse or, or whatever and what we yeah. sort of landed on is that well it comes back to sort of a fundamental aspect of all star wars which is the the sort of ultimate climactic acts that win the day as desperate as they may be are ultimately about hope and love and sacrifice it's luke throwing away his lightsaber rather than anakin drawing his lightsaber in hate and it's this similar moment of like because he goes to break the mirror out of um this idea of faith and love and sacrifice that's what makes it work not that he he probably wouldn't have known that that's that's why it would have worked right. but that's ultimately why it ends up working so essentially as emma is teaching us how to read the ronin is learning how to live and then we all together <laughs> with the characters learn that love breaks the cycle of trauma essentially <laughs> It was old magic. <laughs> All right, well, Eric's. All right, gonna, yeah, I need to take a lap, <laughs> man. Oh my but it's, God. It's I know, heavy. man. This whole this whole book is a is a is a mind trip, man. Wow. It really is. Wow. Before, it, before we go any further, wow. Try to help me understand the significance yeah. of the mirror itself. Okay. So, mm. so um. So the mirror is clearly established as some sort of very ancient object on on Reisu and seems uh -huh. to be like one of the, the sort of jewels of Reisu is one of the, you know, the most notable things they've literally built an entire temple around it, you know, or, or it's within this like very popular temple. And obviously we don't get into like all the nuts and bolts of like, well, who built it and what's its purpose? It's just like, mm. it's a thing that's, that's not the point. You know, the point is this, this, this object exists. Um, and the mirror clearly has through myth, through legend, through what the Ronin knows about it and the witch knows about it, this, concept that it can show you things um similar to other mirrors and other sorts of storytelling that it can show you things your deepest desires answers to questions maybe it's a mobius chair whatever it is something like that and that's obviously what sets them on their path to find it and just being made of kyber and as we you know kyber and the force are sort of intrinsically related um that thus it must have this kind of intrinsic power that is related to like a greater part than its whole that it can reach beyond itself or it's connected mm -hmm. to to the world or the planet beyond itself so that's sort of the importance of the mirror the rest of it is sort of meant to be left a little bit vague it is this very powerful object that uh, people use to do things with. So it's not just the mirror that like cursed Ray. So it's the witch yeah. and the mirror in concert. You know, it's not just the mirror that's showing him the memories. It's his daughter and her mastery of that mirror and using mm -hmm. it as an object along with its intrinsic power. Um, so it's sort of a font as well as a totem, as well as a symbol. It's sort of all of these things like wrapped together. Okay. I also just, I know we'll, we'll get to this later when we talk about Fox, uh, but, like, the fact that a shard of the mirror is used as a kyber crystal within a lightsaber, I, I ascended. 
during that part of the book. <laughs> like, like, like it was that it was that moment in uh, in the ninth Jedi when we realized that like the kyber crystals change color and length depending on the Jedi, which is one of my favorite moments from Visions. Like, it was that kind of thing of like taking kyber lore, which I do feel is becoming very. I don't even know if important is the word, but very interesting in canon lately. Like, a lot of books are really tackling it. Claudia Gray is talking about it a lot. We're hitting it with High Republic a little bit. And taking it and doing a complete 180 that is also connected to the most important emotional, psychological part of the book was just such a great moment. And what what I have given to be in, to, in Emma's head when they realized, oh, wait a minute, part of the mirror is in the saber. Boom! Like, I feel like they must have gone to their wife and been yeah. like, I figured it out! I did it! I did it! And I, and I hope... It's like, 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 when Tony, like when Tony Stark figures out time travel in, in the last yes. episode. He's like, so, you know, I did it. Yeah. Did what? I figured out time travel, you know? Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I made the Kyber Mirror. I, I made it. That's it. I made it, yep. Uh, Kyber Mirror said Mirror of Era said can suck it. Sorry. Better Mirror. Better Mirror! I'm saying it. <laughs> so... Um, we're obviously really getting into the deep end here into a lot of trauma what it means to experience that how you cope with that how you move forward from that and there was a a quote that i've got to point out before i give you my last question about the ronin uh it was spoken by the traveler on page 329 and and they said look at it this way you've already done the brave thing you chose not to die go on now live and that, uh, wow, I mean, it, it really just hit me, and, and I really reflected on that actually for quite a long time. I, I, that was one of the moments I, I had to put the book aside and just kind of sit with that for a while um, to talk about the, fa- the, the choice to live and, and to continue and to keep going regardless of everything that's happened, that that is that 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 is the choice like that is the brave thing to do that is i don't know there's just so much there um that it really got me and if y'all want to comment on then that you're you're more than welcome to but i gotta ask you my i, I actually yeah can I, can I finish that quote real quick yeah, 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 like yeah. the second part of that quote is equally as, as tough for me and just made me kind of <clears throat> choke up a bit because it's go on now live and it says you say that as if it's easy he mm-hmm. muttered but of mm-hmm. course it isn't it might not ever be. They turned over his hand and raised his palm to their lips. How lucky that you needn't live alone. And I oh think that, <laughs> I mean, you talk about something that I think every single person needs to hear, especially after these last couple of years. Like, yeah, it's living is hard and it's harder. It's harder for a lot of people than it ever has been. And everyone's going to hit those points. But how lucky that you needn't live alone is such a gorgeous sentiment for that needs to be a t-shirt 100 percent. yeah <laughs> yeah we, we, we got to contact Dude. jose and, <laughs> right, i mean it needs to be a t-shirt just, uh, yeah and, spe- and i just think my yeah just my, my really quick like out of out of book out of podcast thing if you're listening to this if you watch this i hope that you do feel that sentiment really intensely that hmm. no one is ever alone living through all these hard times the Ronin can make it through all this stuff. Made it through everything. You can. We all can. And what a beautiful way to describe that in this mm. book. So not just why yeah. that second part of that quote. I think is just it's amazing. very it's very important. I'm glad that you you brought that up and thank you for doing that. And I I have to point out 
you mentioned earlier, Eric, that we read and we, and we write, or I assume writers write in the context of the world that they know and they pull things into it. The fact that saying that you, you needn't live alone, uh, that you say that while putting someone's hands up to your lips, like the, the one thing that like no one would do right now, right? Like that's such an intimate, yeah. <laughs> close touch, yeah. like uh, in, in touching someone's face, like right where their mask should be. That's I don't know. That really hit me. That really hit me. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah. But also, yeah. we haven't we haven't addressed Ronan's weird mechanical jaw thing. Like, like <laughs> that's the, the thing. Yeah. yeah, that is absolutely a nidus for infection. Let's be honest. So you know, <laughs> there's the medical bit. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. My goodness. Well, here's my last kind of sixth sense question. And if you want to weigh in mm-hmm. on anything else about the Ronin, now is the time. Um. Obviously, there's a reason that the Ronin could hear this voice throughout the whole story, right? Because it's his daughter. Um, so that part checks out. But do you think it's possible that Ronan was not the only living person that could hear that voice, but that he had actually died somewhere along the way and was resurrected? Mm. Ooh. I never want to play Tom in poker. I'll tell you that much. I was looking for it. <laughs> not, a, not a flinch. Not nothing. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, I will just say my quick piece because I want to hear you all. Mine's easy. I, I do feel like there's an eight, nah, 70% possibility that he was resurrected um, before this book started. It's not guaranteed, but I love that being a possibility. That yeah. thought has never occurred to me literally until just now. So congratulations, <laughs> Charles. <laughs> He's so good at that. <clears throat> I kind of, I kind of thought it along the way too. Um, I mean, just when I was like three quarters of the way through here, I was like, "This is the Night King. She, this witch is resurrecting dead people." Yeah, and then. At the end of the book, I was like, nope, not the Night King. Ruined it for me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, just think. I mean, just reading that question, Charles, I mean, yeah, he's got – he had to have been resurrected. He's he's already dead, and he was resurrected. It, just, it would just make so much sense that he was the whole time, but we weren't told it, you know? Maybe. Tom? Tom? That's how I'll answer this. That Tom, is Tom. <laughs> that is not a um, that is not a thought or an idea that we constructed the book around. Mm-hmm. But if you have read the book and that is what you've come away with, and that's sort of the 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 what you have constructed, and that's like what you've taken away from it and how you've interpreted it, I love that for you. What a stupid yeah. question, Charles. Next. <laughs> 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 no, I, really, I, I do. That's I, great. I, I love that. I think that there is you that you can pull out some compelling evidence. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I can tell you that we constructed the book that he is very much burdened by 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 his yeah. by being alive. For sure. Um, For sure. Ooh, burdened by being alive. That's hey. a great descriptor of the own. Same yeah. on it. To be honest, <laughs> Mike, you want to talk about relatable? Oh, oh goodness. Jesus. All right. Uh, well. <laughs> Burden. That was yeah, uh, that was a lot. Any any last thoughts, <laughs> guys? We're like an, we're an hour and a half in. We want to talk about one character. What <laughs> the heck? Oh my god! This is going to be a time. Time. round table. This 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 book. I have to say, this book probably is by 
a significant margin the heaviest Star Wars book I've ever read. Like I, sure. there were. Themes. I will say, Lesser Evil is physically the heaviest Star Wars book I've ever read. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. fair enough. Fair enough. You're never not on here. That one, guys. <laughs> Kindle. Get the Kindle version for that Don't one. Don't move after buying that oh, book. Man. You must settle in whichever home that you rest in. <laughs> That's right. Um, all right, any any last thoughts on the Ronin? Just because he's such an important character, yeah. I want to leave the, the table open for any last thoughts. Not for me. He'll pop up. Yeah. We yeah. Can, we I'm can sure he'll pop up and, as we discuss others. For sure. He, he absolutely, though, is the – he was – obviously, he's the main character. But he was the key to unlocking how identity was going to work in this book since we knew – we are never going to find out his name. And he doesn't have a name. His name is the Ronin. And for all mm-hmm. intents and purposes, you know, he has banished that name. And the moment that we knew that that was the key linchpin to our main character that opened up the entire rest of the book for, well, identity, everybody can have multiple names. Mm-hmm. Names can be meaningful. They can be meaningless. We can play around with it. We can have referrals. We can have sobriquets. Um, all sorts of, of, of playfulness opened up because of that one little um, linchpin of, of the Ronin's yeah. identity. Yeah, I mean, even in the prologue to the book, in, in the crawl, it literally says, no doubt the gods themselves have cursed his forgotten name. It's like, yo, if the gods don't know it, you're not going <laughs> to know it. Come on now, we're readers. They're gods. I just, oh yeah. God, what a good crawl, Tom. I wanted, to, I wanted to ask, what is the, what was the sort of timeline of this story's production in association with the TV show? Had, had it been, had the TV show been done first, or had this been done first? Were they kind of all happening at the same time? I mean, can, can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, I mean, the, so these were, this was developed as the the short was coming together because we, mm-hmm. we chose it from, yeah. we knew we wanted, we, after hearing about what the Visions Project was going to be, we're like, oh my God, this is really exciting. This would be perfect. We should absolutely do a book related to one of the, the shorts. And so we looked at all of them and they were in uh, various stages of, of development. All of them at least had some form of like a, a first script or some concept art or even very early sort of animatic animation or rough animation. Um, and so in looking through all that, that's how we settled on the duel. Um, and so then as the duel continued to develop, we were developing the story in concert. And, you know, obviously things always get tweaked and changed a little bit, sure. but because the duel is so sort of economical in its story, like the actual bones of the, like the story itself, they didn't suddenly be like, Oh, there's like 16 more characters in this or like, Oh, the main character is not yeah. this character. None of, nothing else really changed. It was really just a progression of the, um, the visual style and the visual mm-hmm. aesthetic. Um, so it was relatively early with that, but that's when we, we chose the duel really early on. Emma came aboard after we had chosen the duel. Um, and once we had decided that we thought the duel would make for, um, honestly, any of them would have made, you could have made a book sure. prequel right. or sequel for any of them. It's not yeah. like there was a bad choice here. This yeah, was the one sure. we chose in large part because um, we watched it and I was like, well, there's this interesting thing going on in the duel that's not going on in any of the other stories, which is in every other story, the main character, the events of the story are a linchpin moment for the main character in that story. They're mm-hmm. the call to the call to destiny, the moment when destiny turns, their great victory, their great mm-hmm. defeat, whatever it is, except for the duel. In the duel, the events of the duel matter to every character in that story except the Ronin. The Ronin's like, mm-hmm. today's Tuesday. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bother yeah. to me. I'm just wow, trying to walk yeah. from here to here. 
And so it was immediately apparent to us being like, well, why doesn't he care? Like, why is this a boring day to this dude? What the heck? What isn't a boring day for this guy? What's going on with him? And it obviously also just has the literal sort of like Bill Bixby, the Hulk story inertia of like he leaves and walks away into the, you know, down the road to the next town. So that's what informed choosing this one. Um, But yeah, they were sort of developed uh, in tandem with one another. Interesting. Interesting. That's cool. Also, Tatooine Rhapsody Hive, I see you. Uh, we uh, like there's couldn't have uh, we couldn't have uh, I don't know we were gonna come up with with better music we had to commission like an entire album maybe it's like a, it's a visual album that's gotta be a Dutchman Rhapsody put it on title and it's an exclusive I want to watch I want to watch like a behind the an in universe behind the scenes documentary following them on tour that's what I want uh, this is Spinal Tap Spinal of Tap, yeah. Rhapsody yes yes yeah. Tom yes. <laughs> All right, so so now that we're past the Ronin, for now, we're for sure going to come back. Um, I, I want to kind of take the more abbreviated approach of some of these characters we've done in the past. I'll give you a few quotes. I'll give you one prompt, and then take it wherever you want. But we got to talk about sure. the Traveler. We talked about the Ronin. I feel like we have to talk about the Traveler. They're almost two sides of the same coin in some ways. And so we're talking about the Traveler, a.k.a. Fox, a.k.a. Izuna, and the Ronin. Early in the uh, uh, earlier in the book, in reference to the traveler, thinks this: the voice had only ever directed him towards Sith warriors who would have gladly murdered him if he hadn't murdered them first. The sole exception to the pattern sat across from him. So Zuna was the sole exception to that pattern. He thinks. On page two ninety one, Kurus thinks if something needed to be done about Fox, the old man would know it before she did. <laughs> That was, if she could trust the old man to deploy his mercilessness on Fox. He was undeniably weak when it came to them, hobbled by an affection, a dependence. Hmm. So the Traveler is another character who's shrouded in mystery, haunted by this trail of betrayal. They left Hanrai's clan. They trained at Mirahi, but then fought against her or was ultimately killed by her, came back returned to Hanrai, killed him to save the Ronin, uh, let Kuru fall in the abyss outside of the temple, hold a lightsaber to the Ronin's throat seconds after caressing his face. Um, I'm I'm curious, if you remove the witch from the equation, who is the traveler? What is the traveler's motivation? Whose side were they on without the influence of the witch? I know it's a big question. But there it is. The side of being awesome. Yeah. I love travelers. We've, 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 talk, we've talked about the concept of gray Jedi being kind of a dumb concept, I think, in the past, like mm-hmm. like on this show, and like how it's got flaws from a storytelling perspective and blah, blah, blah. But like the traveler is the most neutral character I've ever seen in any book, literally ever. Like, mm-hmm. like whose side are they on? I have no idea. Who cares? Like, yeah, like- <laughs> That's kind of how I feel. They have a white lightsaber for crying out loud. I mean, yeah. come on. Very much Orla Jorini vibes. Yeah. Um, I. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact they're and the fact that the representation, right? Like, I mean, yeah. they them pronouns. They're like, a non-binary is, uh, masked character. Like, they are who they are. They'll tell you what you need to know. Um, I will be honest though. I. I'm still not through with it, but I'd watched a decent amount of Demon Slayer before reading this book. And if anyone has watched that anime, there are characters in fox masks, and I just that jump around with swords, and it 100% <laughs> colored my idea of this character because they're also very mysterious. 
um, which was dope. Watch Demon Slayer on Netflix. Hashtag not a sponsor. Um, but I think to answer your question, Charles, is not about anime um, at this point. I, I agree with Corey. I think the Fox, the Traveler, Izuna has been on the side of the Jedi. Didn't care for it. Mm-hmm. Has seen the side of the Sith. Didn't care for it. Is on the side of, you know what? I know what's right, and I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that'll right. defend my days. And you know what? Most importantly, they're on the side of cats. Yeah. And I think, okay. <laughs> uh, Cheryl put the quote in the chat, what was it? Uh, had the best retort to a, a lightsaber at your throat. I am holding a cat. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, how dare you? Like, just oh really God. great care about what's going on. And also, probably the most the most adaptable character in the situation. Like, if I'm in trouble, I want the Traveler by my side. Because Fox knows what to do, is not really shaken by a whole lot, and never thinks they know an absolute truth if there is new information to be learned. Mm. And I think that's mm. a great characteristic. Like, only Sith deal in absolutes, right? So I think mm-hmm. that Fox is always willing to hear out more always willing to change their mind if something better comes along because you know they want to be open to it and i really i really dig that about them i was when i was reading i was flip-flopping back and forth because i was trying to read into it too much and i would like in the beginning i was like oh the traveler's bad and then i kept reading mm-hmm. into it, i was like no traveler is good and i kept flip-flopping back and forth because I, yeah. I couldn't i couldn't figure it out and then and, no. it, and then when this question came up i was like well what's the right answer this has been pissing me off get for the right. past 11 days I've been reading this book. <laughs> and then I couldn't. So I'm glad that this was a, a question that neutral. Neutral isn't a good. I don't like I don't like that answer. I don't like neutral. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. Tom, I love, I'd love to hear if you have any behind the scenes yeah. tidbits about this character and this development. The Traveler, uh, actually, for the most part, with one exception that, that we'll probably discuss Every character was more or less like fully formed from like the very first conversations Emma and I had about what this story might become. Like just every single one of them was sort of what we talked about that very first time and what ended up on the page, exactly what we talked about. Interesting. Wow. And in the case of the Traveler, it's they're they're meant to be the obviously a character who we we literally change up the prose of the story for. They talk to you in first right. person. Like we have a storyteller, you know, who who uh, who better to make yeah. sense of the most wrong thing in the world than a storyteller, uh, I think is, is a quote from, yeah. from early in the right. book. Uh, wow. And so we have a storyteller within this story where everyone is keeping secrets. And the, the idea of truth and the idea of like who knows what is entirely – uh, up for grabs that we have this storyteller character who gets infused into scenes who can play around with that truth who can set the exposition and then pull that scaffolding down by playing around with, yeah but we've also heard that this and maybe this and oh this is, I, I suppose this or i wonder this um but the reason why they uh, i think that they present such a challenge in terms of whose side are they on is because they you know, the Ronin's on a, 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 a journey of redemption, atonement, penance, whatever. But the Ronin does know who he is, and he does know what he did. The Traveler doesn't. The Traveler is on a journey of discovery because they don't remember much of what happened to them. They know enough to know that they were involved in an important thing, and they suppose enough that something bad happened to them because... There's not a lot of stories about people with amnesia that are good. <laughs> that that's good circumstances resulted in the amnesia, right? Right. Um, Just having a day. Yeah. yeah. Not so much. Most of them, for the most part. And so they're yeah. on this journey of discovery, and so some of their neutrality, I think, rightfully comes from 
Well, they don't actually know where, what side they were on or exactly what they did in service to any one side. And thus, they must remain where they are until they figure that out because they just don't know. Um, other than their sort of those gut emotional feelings. Like they know, like, right. I'm not a Jedi. They know, like, no, no I'm not yeah. down with that. Um, you know, and they know they're yeah. not a Sith. You know, they're like, I'm not down yeah. with that either. Um, but that's is, sort of why. It's that hole in the middle of them. That That's a really interesting thing you bring up too because we talked so much about trauma and we talked about so many medical things with Emma when she was on the podcast. And, like, what you're talking about is yeah. is – I mean, is it because he was, like, killed and resurrected, or is it actually, like, dissociative amnesia, which is, like, a real response that people mm-hmm. have in, in real life to trauma? <laughs> That's true. Like, was, was that an example right. of that in this novel? And I'm curious, Tom, I know we've kept you here a really long time, but you, you mentioned but early time. conversations about yeah. these characters with Emma, and I would just, I would really love to hear more about that, because here I am, the uh, the uneducated one maybe in this conversation, but I'm thinking authors come forward with a story and y'all help you know tweak little things, obviously edit the book, but I, I had always just kind of assumed they come forward with like very full-formed ideas and all these things, and you mentioned kind of working with her through exactly who these characters were. Can you tell us any more about that whole experience and that partnership? Yeah, so... You know, um, once we knew that we were going to do the duel and knowing about the project and set about saying, okay, well, we got to find an author, which is kind of, you know, the goal all, all the time. Oh, we, wanna, we, uh, we think we want to do this kind of book. Or we think we want to do a thing related to this. All right, well, we got to find the right author. And so go searching for the right author. Um, and uh, it brought me to Emma by way of her wonderful agent um, uh, who shared with me this um, piece of uh, their manuscript that was on submission that you know hadn't yet been sold and was on submission, and I read it, and I got through a couple pages, and I was like, this is it. This is our author. I just knew it you know, um, from the words that were on the page. Just knew it from the way they were constructing story, the way that they were writing, their voice, and from the, the other bits that I knew about them as far as their writing sensibilities, what they were interested in, all that, some of their background. I said, okay, this is our person. Um, and wow. the archive on dying. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's <laughs> the book that got Emma the star Wars, um, is, is the archive on dying. And when you read it, you will understand, like you will just understand. Um, it's the only way I could put it. And so after showing, you know, Emma, the giving Emma the script to the duel, and we were both watching this very early, like, kind of, I think like T pose animatic where everyone sort of moves. Like, you know, most people don't even move something. Sometimes like the concept art just kind of floats through the frame because it's just, it's all placement, you know, it's all just like four placement yeah, yeah, so yeah. early on. It's an idea. Um, yeah. And, uh, we, um, I think that one might even still had some like square cubes or boxes where like there was just not a piece of animation ready and they just needed blocking. Um, but anyway, after that it was, you know, this is the beginning of the story. What happens next? And it was just this iterative. They went away and came back with this outline that was like, well, here's the characters. Um, we both talked about right to me and like, well, what if, what if the bandit's not dead? Like, what if they're not dead? Both of us love the idea of revenants, like a revenant story, someone who's, you know, risen from the dead and has some mission they're on and they don't understand why are they on this mission and why are they back then? Like, we both kind of like love that kind of story. And we both fell in love with Koru so instantly that we're just like, can, 
can we bring this character back? We do, we, you know, oh my gosh, more than 10 seconds of screen yeah. time with this character. And from there, though, they had this idea because of all of their grounding and knowledge and understanding of Japanese storytelling and Jideki films and, and just all of these storytelling traditions of the kind of story they wanted to investigate both from that sensibility and also from the idea of like, well, what kinds of Star Wars stories haven't we seen before? What themes are present in Star Wars that we've seen in a lot of the films, we've seen in a lot of places, but like we've never had an entire thing devoted to it or we've never gotten to spend all this time with it. And so from there, they just pitched this idea of this character on this journey to kind of go back to where their, you know, sort of story began and the characters they were going to run through, run into on the way. And, you know, there's some classic Star Wars stuff like, yeah, of course, you're going to have a pilot character and you got to have a droid and there's going to be this, per- like, you're going to, you know. Um, and then we, from there is where we started to talk about, well, all right, he's a Sith. So what does that mean about who the Jedi are? And then what does that mean about like, okay, there are Lords and there are Jedi and those are not the same thing. But then what would it mean if a Jedi became a Lord and what would that mean? And it sort of evolved from there. And it was just this kind of constant iterative process of, the building this framework of this world and constantly referring back to the duel. Well, what are people wearing in the duel? What does that say about the world? What are the bounty hunters? They all like, what are all their garb and their weapons? What does this all look? What does that say about what goes on in this world? What are people doing? Like constantly doing that to kind of build in the world building. And from there, it all just kind of started to scaffold together. Um, And this idea of betrayal and this idea of working towards this ridiculous, you know, twist at the very end of the story, that all is not what we, what we thought it was. was. was all right there from the beginning, and then it was just about, okay, we've got point A, which is the duel. And for anyone who's ever tried to write a story, to, to actually know, like, this is the first 15 minutes of my story. It is intractable. Like, we are going to retell the duel. It's actually an amazing yeah. <laughs> what a gift. It really is. It's an yeah, incredible foundation. Incredible. And then to know where you're going to get to the very end, knowing there's this moment in this turn. And then you just have to fill in the middle, which is still hard and challenging, but having these two anchor points yeah. then just creates the fact. It's like, I already know where the bridge starts and where the bridge goes. I just got to build the middle part, which is still challenging, but is yeah. just it. But it was all mostly fully formed from the beginning. And it was about honing and tweaking. Um, I, I got to say, Tom, I love that the first part of the middle is, what if we control death? <laughs> like that was the first well, step was like wait a minute what if Kudu's not dead like what what a brilliant first leap well, that, like that usually wouldn't be the first well that came thing. out of this concept of you know at every single moment we were constantly talking about okay this is star wars but this is this this might not be the same it, things might not work the same here as the star wars we know some yeah, things obviously work the universe, same like yeah. lightsabers still are lightsabers you know they, they look a little different and this one goes into scabbard but like and this one turns into umbrella but like lightsabers are lightsabers and a lot of the things don't work <laughs> uh, you know yeah, but sure. so every time we but then we started to talk about okay the things that are going to be different every single time really i really mean this every single time we had a conversation of why is it different not because not just like let's make it different just because we can make it different that's not really interesting that's right, not sure. informing story that's not driving story forward that's just like let's make this this way instead of that way because it's cool and we didn't want to do that so we were talking about ghosts and we were talking about spirits and we were talking about well ghosts mean a certain thing in star wars they have a very specific function in star wars they they kind of only appear in very specific ways we only sort of they look a very specific way in star wars 
But what are ghosts like? What does Japanese storytelling say about ghosts and spirits? What is the relationship to uh, those storytelling traditions and ghosts? And then in concert, then what does that mean for this book? What can we do with ghosts? And from that, we were like, well, if we're going to be playing around with ghosts and spirits and, and things like that, well, why can't we then go back to this character that we both dug? And what if the driving force is right. she wakes up and now we've got someone chasing the Ronin? And no matter else what else is happening, we've got this driving bit of motivation of this character who's chasing him down. Um, and that, that was sort of where that came from. But it was informed by this idea of like, okay, ghosts. We're not going to do quite the same thing. But it wasn't just let's do something different just because we can do something different. It was how does this actually inform the world or the story? And Ghost was just one of the things that we changed that, that had that same thing. But literally everything, even down to the words that we used. Like we used Dreadnought because we decided that it actually made sense to not use a, a familiar Star Wars term like Star Destroyer in that case. It actually made more sense to use a right. different ship name, even if like broadly speaking, at least in my mind, that those ships still sort of probably look like Star Destroyers with some slightly different aesthetic, but it was important not to use yeah, that sure, same sure. word for storytelling reasons. Sure. So that's, that's just where that kind of came from for, for Koru wow. and for bringing her back. And I, it, Emma nailed it. Yeah, and I love that idea too because like in, in that same respect, bringing it all the way back to Fox... I think that there's a lot of times where you can read books where whenever a storyteller character is brought in or like a writer or something, writers writing writers or writers writing storytellers can can be kind of a mixed bag. I found not only in Star Wars, but just like in general, because like they're either the most important person in the story because writers love writers or they're like super depressed and drinking coffee by a window all the time or like, you know, (laughs) it's a mixed bag because they're so intimately involved with it. And one thing I really loved about fox's portrayal is it's it's just what you said about everything else tom is that they were a storyteller because clearly it fit where the narrative had to go like you needed a storyteller to propel the ronin to that next part to impart these stories and that was and that storyteller is also a warrior is also someone that had a past of some sort but what a unique I keep saying that word but i'm gonna keep using it a unique idea to have a person whose life is stories yet they cannot remember their own. Like, what an mm-hmm. amazing paradox to put in here to confuse not only the characters, but us as the readers to be like, they cannot remember their sole purpose, so they must try to keep telling other stories till they remember their own. Is just... It's awesome. It's just yeah. awesome. It's just so cool. And, like, you can see that Emma, based on what you just said, too, Emma's creation of this story is so based around those ideas. And I think that's what makes this book so impactful. I'm also had the smart challenge of there is a very easy way in which this book becomes very exposition heavy because we kind of have to reinvent an entire world for you. Like we, because yeah, we have yeah. to deliver everything, yeah. but by using it, Zuna and like those moments where the traveler jumps into first person to tell you a story, they're giving you the exposition of this world and this, this galaxy. Yeah. But the medicine's going down easy. You know, it's, it's not, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't bog down the story from a pace perspective. It doesn't grind us to a halt and everyone's twiddling their thumbs for 45 minutes yeah. while we tell you how, you know, ships and gravity uh, yeah. work in this story. Yeah. Um, that was the other reason behind a character like the Traveler is they can let you yeah. do the stuff that has to kind of normally be in the background of a good story in order to keep it going. And it can be foreground, but it'll be germane to what's, what's going on. 
Yeah, and it's not like, you know, oh, hard day of traveling. Let's get a fire going. Say, by the way, what was the first <laughs> war about, Traveler? Well, the four <laughs> nations lived together in harmony. Like, it, it, like, it could absolutely be that kind of thing. And oh, uh, not that I don't love the opening credits of The Last Airbender, don't get me wrong. But, you know, you don't need it in every story. Yeah. Wow. Um, oh, well, hearing geez. the behind the scenes, honestly, about how this book came together, oh. I'm kind of blown away by how many people were, were just intimately involved in this process. Like, it sounds like a team effort. Even even more so than a, a typical book that comes out, and uh, and I'm enjoying hearing about that behind the scenes stuff just as much as I am discussing the story itself. This has been an absolute blast, real, Tom. Man. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us. Thank you, Tom. I hope we can get more of your insights in the future too. Whenever you want. <laughs> yeah. All right. Clip that. <laughs> Keep it. Because yes, man, this is this has been phenomenal. I mean, it's it's such a cool thing. I think that you know we've all gotten really excited in the past about like oh the new blu-rays are coming out you get more docs oh the disney plus things are coming out like all the um the filmmaker features on the visions things we're so we're so awesome and like it's kind of how we talk about books like there's more star wars happening there's more behind the scenes star wars happening every day like that's your life which is never not cool so yeah we will (laughs) a thousand percent now i know you're again as we said earlier in the show next week um you know, you're hanging out with Timothy Zahn. That's fine. You know, that's cool. Um, you guys will be great. I- Listen, I'll, I'll pull a doubleheader. I'll, I'll, I'll come crashing back. Let's keep. If you need me. We'll talk. Great. We'll then talk. Let's do. Th- yeah. Keep this. Yeah. yeah. We will absolutely coordinate because right. we will be we will be going. So, um, yes. Thank you, Wes. As we're wrapping up here, Wes, just put the, the, the link again to that event that Tom's going to be hosting with Tim. Uh, it's weird to say Tim. Timothy Zahn. I can't I can't do that. Timothy's on <laughs> next Monday in the chat. And I think, uh, Wes, can we put that in the description of this video as well? For sure. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so I guess, like, God, we still have so much more to go with this book next time because it's so thick. This is already our longest part one, which I'm so glad about. But uh, Tom will absolutely, absolutely get you back next week to talk more about this. But I guess any part one last thoughts just about the Ronin character about the traveler or about just anything, any, any kind of last little bits you want to share with our folks before next week. Oh, that for me, I thought that was for everybody. That's for, Oh, oh no, that's for, for oh no, that's for you. <laughs> oh, I don't care about these jokers. Um, I'll talk about them all the time. <laughs> uh, I'll give you, you know, what, I'll give you one cool tease thing that we will definitely pick up on next week for, so for people watching this to, to go forward, beautiful is that the voice we will refer to her as the voice, the, the witch, the voice, was not originally part of the story. The witch as a character was part of the story, and the daughter as a character was always part of the story. But the idea of the voice was not originally part of the book. Interesting. Wow. Then we had a problem, and we found the solution <laughs> in this uh, in this. Uh, disembodied voice who who entered into the narrative uh, i love it okay so that asked me one, one last quick thing i want to ask you this is i've always wondered this as someone who is intimately connected with with the changes yeah. of the stories you've seen you see the drafts you, you see the changes you're also clearly um a huge fan of the universe of the stories and the characters do you ever find it difficult to separate the brains of like i tom star wars fan I'm loving this, and I now know what happens, 
versus I'm Tom. I know what could have happened 18 different ways and didn't happen, and now the real thing happened is this. Like, does that ever get – do those streams ever cross? Hmm. Not really um, because even though, like, yeah, I know what this looked like like in draft one, I know what this page originally looked like, or, Oh my God, this line got, we cut this line for, for X reason, whatever. There's always stuff like that, but not really. I don't really think about it because eventually at the end, it's just like the, the book that gets made the book, the things that ends up between the pages, like this is the best version that, that, that was possible. Like this is the best version of the book. This is the version of the book that we want people to read. And there's always a fun story to be told here and there about like, Oh my God, there's this line or this thing, but not really. Um, I don't really have trouble, like, I, I don't have a lot of regrets about things that don't make it into the books. It's just like, awesome. what makes it into the book I mean, good. is what we want people to read, <laughs> you know, what the author wants people to read. Um, and obviously, like with any creative endeavor, there's always this thing like, oh my gosh, there was this cool thing and we couldn't fit it in for X number of reasons. I mean, you know, right. every movie in the world has like a bazillion deleted scenes. But you know what? It's cool that we that like we got to explore that and the fact that it didn't make it into the final product like doesn't make that moment that we got to explore kind of any less worthy and right. even though me and like five other people might be the only people who ever know that that was the thing that's fine that's just like that's yeah. one of the small perks of the job you don't have to say that bill organa was in ronin at one point you get to live that your truth <laughs> bill organa is oh. hat droid is just bail organa inside <laughs> I have ascended yet first, again. <laughs> Beautiful. Awesome. Well, that's uh, what do you think, Charles, part one? Sorry, you're taking a sip as I that ask is, question. That is part one of question mark number of parts, honestly. We will, we will see. <laughs> Real talk. Awesome. Well, folks, uh, for those of you that have watched live tonight, thank you so much. For those of us who watch later, we love you as well. Thank you. For those of you listening later, we love you too. We hope you enjoyed that chat of this book that I don't think we're done chatting about even after this roundtable. I think this is going to be a conversation piece for years to come. And as we said, go to utini.com, look up Ronin, review it yourself, and then buy it for someone for the holidays. That's what they need. Do they need a Keurig? No, they need Ronin. Come on now. Um, and again, keep us posted in our Discord channel about Ronin has been going. People have been sharing what they love, where they are. Uh, those conversations have just been absolutely incredible. And we'll continue these again next week. Go check out Tom's event or check out our roundtable. And we'll, of course, grab Tom when he's done to that. Talk more Ronin next week. But my friends, that will do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you support us on Patreon, thank you so much for all of that. I hope you're enjoying your Attack of the Clones, your upcoming Rogue One, and your Revenge of the Sith commentaries. I'll watch Star Wars till I'm dead. I don't care. A special thank you to Cheryl Bell, OK Endar, JG Cars, Earl Q, Patrick Ortiz, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council, and Matt Billington, Tyler Latour, Elizabeth Cloutier, Jason Mitchell, Freddie C., and Sally and Chris Eilerson on our Alliance High Command for all their amazing support. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Eilerson. Corey is at DocStarWarsMD. Charles Zetsy Hankel. Wes is at Boss West. And Tom is at Darth Internus. A special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor. Ryan, our graphic designer extraordinaire. And Wes, our producer and community manager. Thank you to Corey, Charles, Wes, and Tom for podcasting with me tonight. Thanks to all of you for listening and watching. And as always, may the Force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. 
there is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it, live by it, and above all, trust in the living force. Join the Utini community and surround yourself with like-minded fans at utini.com. And remember, the force will be with you, always.